You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Amen. Well, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 today. And, and basically, what we see in them is that Paul is giving us an example for the church. Last week, he gave encouragement for the church. This week, he wants to impart an example to the church, to you and I. And, and the reason that he is doing this, he's seeking to do this, is because he needs to do this for the church in Thessalonica because they're suffering. In fact, they're suffering persecution at the time that Paul is writing. Persecution because they're standing up for their faith. They're, they're, they were facing persecution from the Jewish quarter, but they were more importantly facing a, a greater spectrum of persecution from the pagan culture there. As they were uh, separating themselves from the pagan culture, it was something that caused others to look at them and to say, hey, we don't like you guys. You're, you're too different for us. And so they were kind of moving them, or they were kind of looking down on the church there in Thessalonica. Now, there is a reality of persecution in the world today, isn't there? In fact, I just read about 10 Christians who were beheaded by the Muslim militia called Boko Haram, on Christmas Day in northern Nigeria. And it is believed that some 900 churches have been destroyed across northern Nigeria by that same Islamic group in the past several years. Not just northern Nigeria, though. There's persecution on unprecedented levels in many countries around the world. You'll never hear that on your regular news media, though, will you? That's not something that you'll hear from CNN. <clears throat> now, there, there's not just in other parts of the world, though. Today, we see persecution hitting home in America in a greater level than ever before. Because of our biblical views of human sexuality, because of our human world, or I'm sorry, our bu- biblical worldview that God created man and woman. Because of our biblical worldview on things like alcohol and all of that sort of thing, hey, we are facing persecution today. Now, if you don't think that that's a reality in America, ask the cake baker from Denver, Colorado. Ask the young Christian lady who tells her friends why she's waiting until marriage to have intimate relations with her husband. Ask the man who tells his co-workers why he is choosing not to party with them and why he has chosen not to drink alcohol. We'll face persecution when we live by those standards. But if you believe and you belong to King Jesus, then guess what? Oftentimes the same people who persecute you and make fun of you will be the very ones who come to you when they're hurting They'll be the very ones that come to you when their own lives are falling apart and they need some help as they see what you are all about and how you handle yourself. They will know that you have what they need. So we need to be consistent. We need to be people that are standing on our biblical convictions like never before. Because when we do, our light shines. And when we... When our light shines, people see that we're celebrating something different. We're celebrating the life that Jesus Christ has given to us. Now, not only did persecution come about as a result of, their, of, of believing the truth, but Paul needed to comfort this church because of what they were facing. 
They were facing on all sides this, this tough world that they were living in at that time. And so Paul comes along and he says, hey, I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to give you an example of how to live in these times. We live in exciting times. We live in times when, like never before, those that are living for Christ are going to stand out in a good way to the people that are hurting, the people that are lost. And so guys, what does a model servant of God look like? What is your life and my life to be modeled after? How, how are we to be living so that the world can get a glimpse of the light and the truth of Jesus? Well, a model servant of God is going to look a lot like Paul's example to the church. And Paul was that model servant. In verse 1, we read, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Notice that right away Paul is identifying with the persecution. Paul knows what it means to be persecuted for his faith. He has just come from Philippi where he was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. He has just come from Philippi where he was driven out of the city by the Jews there who hated his message that Jesus is the Christ. He knows what it's like to live in the midst of persecution. Now, in the original language, there's one word for the entire phrase there in verse 2 where it says, we were bold. That phrase, we were bold, in our English language is one word in the original Greek, and it means to be confident in spirit and demeanor. Paul is saying, we were confident in our spirit and demeanor among you there. Because after that rough experience of being jailed and persecuted in Philippi, you see, Paul could have toned down his message, couldn't he? He could have backed off. He could have said, you know what? I don't really want to rock the boat anymore. It's a little bit too uncomfortable for me. But because of Paul's relationship with Jesus, he could not help but to share and share confidently. He was kind of like that little boy who confidently asserts himself because he knows his dad will back him up. You ever heard two little boys get into an argument? It always goes to the dad at some point. You know, my dad's bigger than your dad, you know. My dad will take your dad, you know. And little boys will argue like that. They have a, a confidence in their father. They know dad has got their back. And that's kind of how Paul was here in Thessalonica. When he came into the city, he had a confident demeanor. He was able to have confidence because it came from the power of the gospel message that was backing him up. He was able to speak honestly. He was able to speak straightforwardly with people about Jesus because the power of his message was not from him. It was from God. Guys, I hope that you're encouraged by that this morning. To be reminded of the fact that the power doesn't come from you, but rather it comes from the message of the gospel. Remember Romans 1 and verse 16? It's the power of God, Paul said, unto salvation. You, you don't need to worry about if you're presenting it correctly or not. If you're being honest and straightforward with people and sharing the truth about Jesus, God's power embodies that message and he backs that up. So you don't need to worry so what about you? Are you bold in God to speak the good news to others? 
Do you have the same confidence in your demeanor, knowing that as you open your mouth, even if you butcher the gospel, God's power is still working and able to move? You see, that was Paul's heart. Paul knew that to fold would be to lose the battle. Do you fold when you're faced with conflict in your family, in your work environment? Hey, take a, take a note from Paul's life. Paul says, hey, I was able to be confident in God. Not in myself, but in God. As I stepped out to do what God was calling me to do there. Let's remember that. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It is in the power of God which embodies the message of hope. Secondly, Paul sets an example of genuineness in verse 3. He says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. There's no telling how much damage has been done to the church and the cause of Jesus Christ by those believers that are less than genuine. I personally, I get angry when I see a minister who is fake. And you can see these kind of guys. You see them on television. They're up there, and man, they don't really know, they don't really understand what they're doing and what they're talking about. They don't understand that God is one day going to hold them accountable for what they're saying and doing. And it scares me, but it also makes me angry. Now, that, that, that has done a lot of damage to the church, but so have Christians who go to church, and, and they claim the name of Jesus Christ, and yet they live less than genuine lives. They mix truth with error, and because of mixing human philosophy with gospel truth, they have perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many people have been ripped off thinking that, oh, if I come to Christ, I'll have health, wealth, and happiness. Thinking that, hey, now my trials are over. Or now, now I deserve this life that I want. But Paul tells us he never tampered with God's pure message. Paul literally begged people to trust in Jesus Christ and to surrender their lives to him. Why? Was he able to do that and still be authentic with them? I'll tell you why. Because when Paul looked at a person, he saw their soul. He didn't see somebody that, you know, was dressed differently than him. He didn't see somebody that maybe had a different skin color. He didn't see somebody that had a, 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 an annoying quality. He saw a soul that was hanging in the balance. And guys, let me tell you, I believe that that is so important for us to realize and to recognize that when we are looking at a person, we are looking at someone's soul. And it is hanging in the balance. And it is sometimes our responsibility to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to that person when the opportunity is presented to us. And so Paul literally went around imploring people to trust in Christ and to surrender their lives to Him because he saw them as God sees them. Now, we need to understand something. God has placed you in the unique time and circumstances that you are in right now. Think about that for a second. Your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, there are people that God is wanting to reach through your life. 
And, and if you don't see them as souls, you might pass up that opportunity. In fact, you might yourself find yourself entering into petty judgment over them. And instead of looking to share the, and proclaim good news with them, you might actually find yourself looking at them with critical eyes and, and, and not seeing them as God sees them. So Paul says, when I was among you, I kept the gospel message pure. I didn't mix it with worldly philosophy. I didn't mix it in, in with selfish ambition, trying to gain from it. I just shared it. And the world desperately needs people that will do the same, living out and proclaiming the good news to them. So think about that. Who has God placed in your life that you need to be genuine about Jesus with? Thirdly, Paul sets an example of faithfulness in verses 4 and 5. He says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Notice with me the reverence here that Paul has with being entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ. He wears the name of Jesus with reverence, in other words. Paul realizes he's a steward of the good news about what God has done in his life. What kind of a steward have you been? Have you maximized the power of the gospel first in your own life, realizing that you yourself personally need the good news of Jesus every single day? Guys, I don't know if you've learned this or not, but the gospel of Jesus meets every deepest longing of your own soul. The way that God created you as a human being is to connect with him through the good news of Jesus Christ. Every need for love and approval and acceptance and affirmation and security is met in the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that he loves you, gave his life for you, paid the price for your sin, and gives you redemption and adoption and forgiveness of sins and a future and a hope. So what kind of a steward have you been? Have you applied the gospel first in your own life and then presented it to others? Paul could have caved in to the pressure. He could have just not said anything. He could have decided, hey, it's not worth it to face persecution for people to laugh at me or to think I'm different than them. It's not worth it to have to take all the jokes from all the guys. <laughs> I really don't want to uh, put up with the pressure every day. But instead, notice Paul says, no, we were faithful to God in these small things. You know what? That's a biblical principle, isn't it? Jesus promised that those who will be faithful to him in small things, he will be faithful to reward with greater responsibilities. He will be faithful to reward that faithfulness. Notice that Paul has listed several things in these verses that he did not do in Thessalonica. He did not present the gospel with error or impurity or trickery. And in verse 5 here, he says that nor did he use flattering words. In other words, he wasn't just trying to sell people in order to have control over them. He wasn't just saying a bunch of fluffy, feel-good words in order to give people a false sense of security. 
That's tough to hear. Because in a day and age like today, people want to hear fluffy words. People want to hear feel-good messages. That's what the nature of our culture has come to. It's all about giving a false sense of security. But listen, that is not what Paul did. Nor did Paul put a mask on to cover personal greed and ambition. Paul wasn't in Thessalonica trying to sell a bunch of people a new religion so he could rise in popularity and become wealthy. That was not Paul's intent. Guys, when you hear a minister seeking to build his own kingdom and become wealthy because of religion, Christian church, whatever, I don't care, run the other way. You need to flee from somebody who is putting on a mask to cover up their personal greed and ambition and seeking to just gain wealth and grow their own popularity. That is dangerous, and we need to be careful. Paul was not like that, and he sets a great example for Christian ministers and Christian believers. Paul stuck to the Word of God. Paul didn't do things to look good. He didn't do things to gain from, th- from it. He did it to save souls. This is gut-wrenching, reality right here guys and and, and we need to examine our hearts why do we do the things that we do do we do it to look good to look good in the face of others oh look at so and so man they've got it together they're serving on all these boards look at all the charity that they're giving to man this person they must be really holy is that what you're doing it for Jesus says that if you are let you, you, when you give, he says, don't let your left hand or don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't let your right, you know, in other words, do it in secret. So your Father in heaven sees and rewards you secretly. We need to be careful that our motive is not to gain from this. Paul says, I didn't do that. I didn't act covetously amongst you, I didn't flatter people. We need Christians to follow this model to be faithful stewards of God's good news through Jesus Christ. We do what we do because we care about people's souls. Verse 6, Paul says, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So this leads us to our fourth example from Paul. Paul was humble. Even though he was an apostle of Christ, Paul didn't seek his own glory. He didn't seek to use that to his advantage. He was a humble servant to others. Paul had a purity of motive. It kept him free from pride. You know, one of the things that I most respect about the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, Pastor Chuck Smith, who has gone home, he's with the Lord right now. But one of the things that I respect so much about him was how many stories you would hear from people in his church over the years who would show up at the church and there would be Pastor Chuck in the bathroom fixing a toilet or sweeping the parking lot or doing some sort of a task, picking up trash around the campus there, picking up cigarette butts and throwing them in the trash can, things like that. He was a humble guy. He didn't care that he was the senior pastor of the church. If something needed to be done, he would roll up his sleeves and get in there and do it. He didn't allow pride to hold him back. 
Paul had that same kind of a heart. He had a purity of motive. Let me ask you, does your attitude as a Christian reflect this same kind of humility where you're seeking God's glory and it's not about you? Or do you come across to others as one who's seeking glory for yourself? Hey, we got to ask ourselves these questions. Paul sets a good example for us to, to follow this morning. Next, we see that he was a gentle person amongst the people that he ministered to there in Thessalonica, verses 7 and 8. It says, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. I love this verse here, verse 8, because it shows us that the gospel's just the beginning. Paul says, I, I, I wanted to, I long to impart to you not only the gospel, but my entire life to you. In other words, the gospel is just the beginning of a transformation that brings about the most complete and best version of, your, uh, uh, of who God wants us to be. That human being that God has created us to be happens only when we start there with the building block of the gospel. But it doesn't end there. It progresses. You see, God has this amazing plan for each and every one of us as we find our place in his body and we begin to get plugged in and use the gifts that we have to build others up and to love on each other. It's an amazing thing. I love Paul's heart towards the people that he preached to. He served them like a mother serves her children. Did you notice that? He uses that analogy of a mother in this verse. And I think this is great uh, because God is actually also a mother to his family members. And we're, I'll, I'll show you that in just a second. But, but notice the three marks of a mother. Paul brings up, first of all, to cherish. He uses that word cherish. And the word cherish simply means to treasure, to value. Those of you that are moms, this is how we often see you. You, you moms, you that are moms, you understand what it means to treasure and to value because you value those children that God has given you. And, and we see it. It's one of the things that we celebrate on Mother's Day, isn't it? The fact that our mothers have treasured and valued our lives and poured into us. Secondly, they were affectionate. Our moms are affectionate. And that just simply means kind and caring. Paul had a kind and caring heart towards the people that he ministered to. And it's a great example for Christians. We need to be kind and caring. I'll never forget when I was after church one Sunday, standing around talking with a few of my friends, and one of my friends had a young boy, about two years old. And I was taking his young son, and I was just tossing him up in the air, you know, and he was laughing. He thought it was the funnest thing in the world, but apparently I was throwing him a little bit too high. Because after we were done talking and everybody had kind of gone away, Grandma came up to me, and she said, if I ever see you throw my little boy like that again, I'm going to hurt you. And I just remember looking at her. I, I did a double take because I, I was like, is she serious right now? And I went, you know, and she was dead serious looking me in the eyes. Now, I wasn't born in the South, but I knew in that moment I needed to say, yes, ma'am. So I did. I said, yes, ma'am. And I didn't throw that little boy again. See, I learned a lesson that day. You don't take what others cherish and treasure and value and are affectionate towards and treat it like it's a toy, you know? Woo, this is fun. 
Now I understand because I'm a dad myself, you know, and I see other people throwing my kids and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm watching you, you know. You better not go above the two feet mark, you know. <laughs> want to see. But that's a mom. Moms treasure. They value. They cherish. They, they're, they're affectionate and kind and caring unless you mess with what they're treasuring, right? Then they'll step in. Thirdly, notice that uh, Paul says that the mother's heart, his mother's heart was longing to impart something. He says two things the gospel, and my life. In other words, Paul was desiring to raise up the church and to make them better than himself. Doesn't that sum up motherhood? So many moms I see, you're, you're living your life, you're striving to make others better. You're, you're living your life to make these children around you and your husband better, and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how God made you guys that way. I, I could never do it, I'll admit it openly. I've tried. You know, women's retreat weekend, many of you guys know what that's like, don't you? You break out the spam, you know, and you're like, man, I really miss my wife, you know. I don't know how this makes anyone better, you know. Kind of stirring up some soup and serving spam, you know. It's like, yuck. But what an incredible heart to have. The heart of a mother for someone. For, for that believer that's around you. You know, sometimes we forget God himself has a mothering heart for his children. It's true. The Bible tells us. You can jot down Isaiah 66, 13. I'll read it to you, but you can look it up later. It says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. This is God speaking. I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God has a mother's heart. In fact, we know that uh, man is made in his image, and God created Adam, and then he put Adam into a deep sleep and took from him his rib and formed the woman. And so we know that man, human, man and woman, came from God, and in his image they were created. That means that God embodies all of that, fatherhood and motherhood, in his, in his self, in, in, in who he is. And so it's an amazing thing to realize. Now, we, we understand the Bible does portray God much more as a father than he does as a mother, but God has the qualities of motherhood as well. Now, moving on, the other example that Paul sets is one of diligence. Paul was a diligent servant in verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. Paul didn't waste time. He stayed on task. He remembered why he was there. He was about the mission. And last but not least, a model servant of God is protective. Verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So notice with me here that not only did Paul have the heart of a mother for the Thessalonians, it says that he also saw himself as a father to them. And there are at least three marks of a father that we see in these verses. And, and just as a mother is an integral component of a family unit, the father is as well. And the father is, notice there's at least three marks Paul gives of a father figure. Number one, he says that a father exhorts. And that word exhort 
in the original Greek language, it means to earnestly support or encourage a response or action. In fact, the Greek word means literally to come alongside of someone and to help them get to the goal. That's what that means. So dads, guess what? This is a great way to learn about our role as fathers. It is that we're to come alongside our wives, come alongside of our children, and help them get to the goal where they need to be going. Secondly, he says they're to comfort. That as a father, Paul comforted the believers in Thessalonica. That, and what I want to say about that is that in the Greek language, the word comfort means to relate near. In other words, it means you come down to that person's level, you put yourself in their shoes, and you relate to them in a nearness. There's a nearness to that. You know, guys, that could be hard for us sometimes. As fathers, as men, it can be difficult to stop what we're doing for a second, to slow down and to come down to our kids' level. To say, you know what, I can sense there's turmoil in your heart. I can see you're going through something right now, and I'm not going to keep charging ahead. I'm going to stop for a second. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to gather you in my arms, and I'm going to relate to you. I'm going to take the time so that you know that I care about you. That's what comfort means. And thirdly, he says that as a father, his heart was to charge the believers there. Now, charge means to solemnly assert something. To solemnly insert, assert something. In other words, you're giving instructions with a command. You're giving an instruction. Here's how you're going to do this. Now go do it. That's what charge means. It's a military term. It's a military term. Something that you would do with soldiers. You would give them instructions and then you would say, now go, execute, do it. And they would go and do what that father or what that commander was giving them. So this speaks of setting a standard and then expecting that standard to be met. Paul was one who set a standard for the church. Guess what that standard was? It's the same standard that Jesus Christ gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus told the people that they were to be perfect as his Father in heaven was perfect. That's the standard. Now, the reason that Jesus set that standard is so that you and I would realize we can never meet it on our own, that we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And that's what a father ultimately is all about, leading others to Christ, leading others to, to, to realize, hey, we can't do this on our own but we can do it with Jesus. We can come to the Lord. This is great insight for us who are fathers because in being a father, we have the privilege and we have the responsibility of exhorting and comforting and instructing and commanding our children. We have the privilege of raising the standard and then walking alongside of them to get there, acknowledging it's a struggle. I, I don't always do it but let's do it together. Let's make our best effort. Let's, let's try. Because when you have that heart and that attitude, it creates a family environment that's pursuing Christ. Man, God is going to use that family. He's going to bless that family. And, and like the church, there are times when it is necessary and appropriate, or like Paul with the church, it's, there are times it's necessary and appropriate to take on this role within the body of believers as well. Women, we need spiritual mothers 
Men, we need spiritual fathers. We need them in the church. Now, Paul has outlined for us what a model servant of God looks like. Who's going to take the time to process these things and to take them to heart and to practice them? So what does a model servant look like? Well, Paul explained to us that a model servant of God is someone who's bold with the gospel, bold in sharing it, bold in presenting it, genuine, faithful, humble, gentle, diligent, and protective. Looking at those seven things today, ask yourselves, which area do I need to focus on? Which area do I need to pray that God would increase in my own life? Is it boldness? Do I just back down when somebody, you know, persecutes me or acts like they don't want to hear it? Do I just back down or do I just find another way, (laughs) a creative way? Do I need to be more genuine in realizing, hey, this is a person here with a soul and I need to genuinely talk to them out of love about their salvation, about their destiny? Maybe it's faithfulness or humbleness. I don't know, but look at this list. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to increase in your own life, what God needs to add in your own life.